VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. All right, crew, what have we been drinking? Anything exciting? Something hopefully more exciting <laughs> than me. Uh-oh. Yeah, see, this is the problem. <laughs> Adam and I are failing. I gotta up my drinking game. Up. Which is fine. Gang. I can okay. do that. Up the game. I had something very <laughs> delicious that is non-alcoholic. Okay, go. <laughs> Um, it it's a coffee. No, it's called Hopped Lemonade from Devil's Foot Beverage Company. Um, we had it in the refrigerator at work, and it was very delicious. Um, so this was like a kind of a hop water situation, but with lemonade. It's like a mishmash of all the very popular drinking trends we're seeing right now. Though I, I don't know what's what's happened to hop water lately. Um, I feel like we were talking about that quite a bit before I went out on leave and now it's kind of uh, it's kind of waned a little bit but uh, this particular beverage was very delicious um, other other than that I've had some delicious wines at work mm-hmm. um, the champagne I yes. had some you know. delicious champagne yesterday we had the folks from Tetanger came yeah. um, and we had some Zach's been there oh yeah, yeah. well aren't you special <laughs> No, that was really wonderful. Yeah. Have I told the Tatanje story here before? I think you have, yeah. Wait, wait, okay. I don't remember. Maybe. So I'll have to Caitlin listen and back. I, Caitlin and I and Saul, at the end of our... We took a trip to Europe, right? When Saul was like four months old. And we were mostly in Alsace and in the Mosul Valley. And then driving from uh, where we were staying in the Mosul back to, to Paris for to fly home, we decided to, we had sort of... a basically a whole day to do that. And we decided we would leave early in the morning and stop in Rennes and then go to Tetanger because we was, you know, champagne wasn't far out of the way. And it was like, well, we, we may not have a chance to do this again anytime soon. So went on the tour, which was great. And, uh, you know, went down into the coves, saw all the crazy, like Roman era graffiti from soldiers and just like millions of bottles of champagne, very cool stuff. And we get to sort of the end of the tour portion and, you know, Caitlin's like, oh, you know, is there somewhere where I can go? You know, I need to to feed my son. And the person who was showing us so was like, oh, yes, of course. Yes, we have this room set up for you. And we're thinking, like, you know, we're going to be in this, like, you know, like small room. We open it. It's like this <laughs> enormous, con- like, not even conference room. This is this is France. It's like a ballroom. And there's, like, you know, <laughs> centuries-old artwork and tapestries on the wall. These, like, enormous couches and various other pieces of furniture that have French names that I don't know. And there's like three <laughs> bottles of champagne waiting for us. And they're like, take as long wow. as you want. And so <laughs> we're like, getting this like nursing's all in this enormous room where it's just the three of us with like three bottles of champagne that are open, mind you. It's not even like we can take them with us. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to drink some of the champagne, but I also do still have to drive us to Paris after this. So it was really cool, um, if a little overwhelming. And I felt very bad leaving like, you know, two, basically two bottles worth of champagne undrunk. But what you going to do? Wow, what so yes, a special Tatanje gets my always gets my seal of approval, and we also we <laughs> previously to that had opened a lot of it at our wedding. We had our, our sort of version of cutting a cake was we had two three liter bottles that so Caitlin opened one and I opened another for our toast because we didn't want to do a cake, but we wanted to have some sort of like hey everyone look at us while we do a thing kind of moment. So did That's you so savor nice. them? No. Can you no. savor? A sabering is. Bottle? We'll get into my thoughts on sabering another time. Oh, okay, I'm just thinking like. What happens? Like, what if one of you is like more awkward opening the other? We gotta do it at the same time. Like, one, two, three, saber. <laughs> I mean, I think that can go worse than opening a bottle in oh the my traditional God. way. Horribly awry. Oh yeah, one of them could yeah. just like fucking explode. Mm-hmm. What's going on, Zach? What are you been drinking? 
So I think the highlight for me was I was I took Lila, my daughter, out for lunch, I guess, the other day. And a thing that I don't do very often when I'm out with my kids is drink, uh, like, during the day. Because, like, you know, just kind of can create a slippery slope. But we were at this just, like, local Mexican restaurant near us. And the server was like, do you want a margarita? And I was like, you know, I do want a margarita. And I ended up getting just, like, a <laughs> pineapple margarita. And I was like, man, that drink is freaking tasty. And, yes, part of it is, like, I was sitting there sipping my margarita while my daughter was, like, sort of eating black beans and rice and also sort of just, like, mashing them together and throwing them on the floor a little bit. And I was like, you know, without this margarita, this experience would be less fun. So <laughs> I'm going to maybe incorporate occasional day drinking into my parenting during the week because, you know, sometimes you just need it. Sometimes you just need a pineapple mark. Yeah. How about you, Adam? Anything? So... What have I been drinking? Uh, as Joanna, some really nice champagne mm -hmm. uh, and wine. Um, I opened up a bottle of rosé recently with Naomi. Well, we had we I made pizza and we had uh, Tsunuta del Terranere uh, Etna Rosé, Etna Rosato, whatever. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and then besides that, not a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, I had a glass of wine at dinner. Um, We're forgetting our Cuba Libres that we had last week, I mean, we Adam. We did have a lot of Cuba Libres. <laughs> yeah, we had Kelvin come in, who was on the VP50, that's right, last week. It's, like, it's so long it's ago right now. after the podcast recording. Yeah, right after we recorded. Mm -hmm. And he made Cuba Libres on the roof. And, uh, I mean, his recipe was ridiculous. Those are good. Like, I mean, they were so strong. He uses, like, a little bit of 151, five different rums in his blend. <laughs> like, But he had done the Cuba Libres uh you know, cocktail college episode, and I had re messaged him and been like, "Dude, this is one of the better episodes I've heard of Cocktail College. You got to come in and make these drinks." And he was like, "Challenge accepted," <laughs> um, and it was just really, really amazing. So yeah, I, I very much enjoyed that. Um, but besides that, not not a whole lot actually. I've you know, again, it's like a, it's a challenging time. Yeah, <laughs> when you're not going out that often and you're just kind of like kicking it in yeah. um but yep uh i will say i, I had a nice I had a nice rosé this mm -hmm. week that was what i had and the googly rice so we're going to talk this week about sort of all drinks every drink the total total beverage. total beverage not total beverage solutions not total wine and more but total <laughs> beverage uh which is this idea that basically beverages are completely merging into one thing this idea that like you know, people are making so many different kinds of beverages with different kinds of bases. For example, like you now see margaritas that are being sold in stores that are wine based. You see things that are sort of passing as vodka sodas that are seltzers with malt base. You see, you know, spirit bases that are then becoming seltzers and or lemonades and everything like this idea that like that's where we're headed. Um, and yeah, man, total beverage. And this <laughs> idea that every Every company is now a total beverage company. Yes. Right? Everyone does like You're everything. not a beer company. You're a beverage company. Right. Yeah. What do we think, Joanna? I think it's super fascinating. Um, our hot take today, or sorry, what day is it? Our top take from last week um, kind of touches on this where um, there was a uh, Bump Williams consulting report um, and insights that basically said that we're steering towards uh, like just extreme popularity of FMBs, flavored malt beverages, and and that's kind of where all these brands are headed because this is what people want. Um, this is what the consumers are looking for. So I think that 
it's it's really interesting because you have these companies that kind of don't have a choice. Like they have to have uh, a portfolio that's diverse because that's what consumers want. And um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a smart, I guess, <laughs> but also really interest really interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think where I see this becoming the biggest trend, obviously, is in the sort of like ready to drink space where you're seeing lots of people. And that's the examples that often are given, right, where you're seeing lots of people making easier to consume drinks that people are familiar with, with bases they're already familiar with with working with right like wine companies that are starting to like delve into cocktails but they're still using wine because they understand wine as their base solution and so they're able to make margaritas with a white wine base or i don't know i've seen bloody mary's and other weird stuff right or beer with like malt based other malt based beverages yeah exactly i and I, i i still don't know if like that will ultimately you know cross over to you seeing like bottles of a spirit that actually is made with wine or whatever on the shelves in in any real regularity but i think on the ready to drink space this is really exploding and that's causing the majority of these companies to become total beverage companies because they all think they need to have these rtds basically yeah yeah i guess it's like it's smart to do it but i feel like if i were a brewer uh i would feel kind of bummed yeah (laughs) i think they do do this yeah that you have to have a hard tea. Yeah, I don't think there are many brewers that are like super stoked about making malt-based seltzers, even if it's the most profitable thing they make at this point. I bet, you know, in a moment of true honesty, Jim Cook would tell you it's not really his vision for Boston Beer Company to be mostly <laughs> famous for truly and twisted tea. But like, mm-hmm. that's what pays the bills. That's what keeps the shareholders happy. So that's what they're going to focus on. I think it's important here to take a, a moment and talk about two really kind of seismic shifts that have moved us down the path to this sort of total beverage, the kind of like beverage singularity, if you will. I really can't un- un- unhear total beverage solutions, but yes, continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> one of the one of them is just a recognition of how siloed the three kind of categories of beverage alcohol used to be, by which we mean beer, wine, and spirits. And really, mm-hmm. truly, there were very few producers that crossed over that border. And frankly, not even a lot of companies. I mean, you know, the big beverage companies were really pretty much focused in their specific category. You know, Anheuser-Busch dealt with beer. Gallo dealt with wine. You know, Diageo dealt with spirits and and, and others so on. And over time, those lines have blurred just on the sort of consolidation side. And these these companies have portfolios have expanded to include other parts of the beverage alcohol industry. But really, I think it's really the seltzer kind of movement that's that's really created this this shift, right? Because it was the first category that was like, well, what we, what is this? Like from a sort of governmental legalistic taxation side, it's beer because it's malt based, but no one really thought of it as beer. Truly. I guess that's a pun. (laughs) Didn't even think of it. And I also think that when you kind of look at what, how much disruption seltzer has caused in the beverage alcohol space, it's what created the sort of necessary conditions for all of this convergence. And I think, Adam, you've talked a lot on the podcast over the last few years about the primacy right now of just like flavor, of flavor being such an important, mm-hmm. I don't know, trend is even not even the right word, just like animating force in what people want to drink. They want the flavors they want. And 
what companies are figuring out how to do right now is deliver unto them the flavor they want in whatever form that company yeah. can. And whether that's a, you know, a malt-based seltzer, whether that's a spirit-based seltzer, whether that's a wine-based seltzer, whether that's a, a whole other thing entirely, whether it's a beer that's so heavily kind of uh, modified and, and additionally flavored that it is almost unrecognizable as beer or whatever, so be it. And that creates this really strange ecosystem for products and for consumers, I think, where the thing that we think of, like, is it's like, is a margarita the recipe or is it the flavor profile? And I don't have yeah. any answer to that, but we are sort of testing out this hypothesis that maybe actually a margarita is just a sort of lime and I don't know, kind of like maybe vaguely agave-ish, but not even really flavor that people kind of associate with it. And who gives a shit if there's tequila in it? Now, I, mean, I think we all give a shit generally, but I think that's what that's kind of fundamentally what's the question being you know, sort of discussed here. Yeah, I mean, I think, as I mentioned before, right, and what what a lot of people in the industry aren't have not realized as much as they should is that the most important trend right now in the entire industry, especially when it comes to consumers, is flavor. Flavor is the trend, right? And it is, you know, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head about the margarita, right? Like, is it is it flavor that is the margarita flavor people care about or is it the idea of tequila does the tequila matter in it or is it do you nail the what someone thinks is when they think of a quintessential margarita flavor and i had like you know i did some you know just straw man poll research recently at the beach where <laughs> i was asking people about the new high noons mm-hmm. and what i heard from a lot of people and i'll be curious to see what happens in the sales data is most people liked the vodka, still prefer the vodka high noons because the flavor is more apparent. Like the fruit flavor. The fruit flavor is clearer because vodka hides in the background, right? And when you start adding tequila, it's what we talked about when we tasted the high noons. You were not here, Joe. I listened. Yeah, okay, well, you weren't here. (laughs) You had something else to do that day, Uh, keep a baby alive. But, uh, you know, the the tequila comes through, and I personally like that. Mm -hmm. I I, I love that in in those high noons. But what was interesting to me is people were like, no, 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 I don't like those because I can't. I really just want to taste the grapefruit. I really just want to taste the watermelon. And that's about flavor. And it's about bold, very clear flavor. And so then the base doesn't matter at all. At all. Um, it, it was crazy to me. I was on a call recently and like I saw a wine brand that was talking to us and they were showing us a margarita in a box of wine. And it was, it was their margarita. Okay. But they used wine as the base, and they're like, "Yeah, it's a mar- it's a boxed margarita." So, hmm. what else was in there? I uh, probably lots of flavor, right? But it was it, they're using some probably neutral wine base mm-hmm. to create a margarita that they encourage you to pour over ice. Another wine brand recently sent us, which I think is actually very smart. It is sparkling wine prosecco flavored with lemon. Oh yes, and they're just calling it a lemon spritz, and. I'm sure it will crush. They say pour it over ice, and it is very strong in lemon flavor. Hmm. And I think the sparkling wine, like people could care less, right? It's and it makes it easier for people to use. And they're gonna, you know, they're trying to roll it out nationwide. And it's flavor. Stella Rosa has done this very well on the lower end of the spectrum, but I think they're proving that people care about flavor across the board. But they've done this in the sub ten dollar category. I think you're going to start seeing this come up in 
all different areas of alcohol with flavor, which will make most of these companies total beverage companies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're seeing it with whiskey, right? Premium yeah. whiskey. Yeah. I mean, you know, we just got sent a 23-year-aged Apple Crown Royal. Crown Royal. Mm-hmm. Apple Crown Royal. 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a 23-year-old whiskey. And you know what? It's over $200, and it's probably going to sell really well because the the clientele that likes that flavored whiskey is going to like that it's also – this one is the higher-end 23-year-old one. It's just what people are interested in right now. I think there, it's also – creating some confusion i think that especially with the bases um creating some confusion for consumers i took a bunch of the um canned margaritas that we did for a tasting here uh to like vacation with my friends and they didn't realize that some of them had tequila bases and some of them had like malt bases and some were obviously much stronger than others um and yeah i think as we we kind of get down to like flavor being the thing that that people are looking for um like you said adam it doesn't really matter what the base is and i don't know if that's a good thing for people like shouldn't we care i mean we should i hope you would (laughs) but most people don't i think though that like it's important to note something here too which is that to some extent this conversation this sort of like I don't want to say it's hand-wringing because that's kind of dismissing it, and I don't think that's fair. But this sort of thing about, like, well, doesn't doesn't the base matter? Like, what we're talking about here in a lot of cases are products that would be, you know, like, this kind of aiming for a consumer who wants a certain flavor without necessarily a whole lot of consideration to what goes into getting it to them is a... You know, it's been something that's been part of American food and drink for decades. And, you know, like a lot of things, a lot of these drinks trends are really just following in food trends where we've seen this kind of like flavorification of everything um, and some like truly inexplicable and, and to me almost inedible combinations that seem to do really well. But like I'm really not, I guess, the target audience in a lot of cases. And I also think that, so I think on the one hand, like there is a big chunk of the market that, yeah, just wants a, fl- you know, sort of a flavor and alcohol delivery Truffification. System. Yeah. Maybe that, but even that is like, I think truffle is like, even to me, it's like the Cool Ranch Dorito flavored fried <laughs> chicken or whatever. Like you're seeing all these like weird crossovers in fast food and stuff yeah. like that, where like it is sort of like almost like Mad Libs, uh, which is a reference that will date me very clearly to many of our audience. <laughs> um, but, you know look it up folks anyhow i think there is there is just always an audience for this kind of thing for flavors that that jump out to people we're just in a place with beverage alcohol where the companies are no longer tied to their traditional way of doing things in their traditional formats i mean again i think some of this stuff might have sold really well 15 years ago if it had existed and it it just didn't in the same way i mean but again we we can think of all of these things that broke out i mean again Mike's Hard Lemonade is a great example of an incredibly successful beverage that really broke the mold for what, you know, again, nominally, technically, legally beer, not beer in any way we would think of it, and was tremendously popular. Still quite yeah. popular, honestly. Again, Twisted yeah. Tea, another one that has been around, you know, kind of predates this more recent move. Because again, like people have always wanted alcohol combined with flavors they like. And we're just seeing it more. People don't have shame about it, which is probably good in some sense. Like, yeah. From a production standpoint, no one is like, Ugh, I guess, you know, again, like I think Mike's Hard Lemonade, you know, like everyone's around it, except for 
the company itself that made it, but like right. the, the industry seemed to be deeply embarrassed by its popularity. Like I can't, you <laughs> know, and, and there was this attempt to sort of relegate it as like, Oh, it's just a thing that teenagers drink to get drunk. And yeah, sure. Was there some people just kind of getting wasted on Mike's Heart Lemonade? But like a lot of people who were 30, 40, 50, like Mike's Heart Lemonade too, because it tasted good and it got them well, you they know, liked the lemonade, alcohol, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, food is always a really good indicator of what's coming in drinks. We've talked about this a bunch as well, right? Like, so what food started showing is what you're talking about, Zach, where food showed to consumers that, like, you could have these weird mashups where all of a sudden the Doritos chips that you enjoyed eating could be the flavor of a taco shell, could be in the taco, mm -hmm. right? And I think beverages sort of started deciding as well, like, yeah, like, these bases don't really matter. And then I do think you know, it's just about the flavor, right? Like we can have lemonade be in the flavor of a Prosecco as opposed to saying that that's not something that we, that that's not kosher. Right. And I do think that a lot of, you know, credit at least showing the wine industry the way should be probably given to Stella Rosa. I mean, like if you look at how explosive that, that brand has been, you, you, you can't ignore it. And it's a lot of it on the back of flavored wines mm -hmm. and that can be done on the high end. And all of, you know, all of the hard seltzers that are going to be done on the high end. It's not, you know, a coincidence that White Claw, which is the most successful hard seltzer, comes from the same company that created Mike's Hard Lemonade. For sure. You know, all of these things have happened sort of as we've become okay with flavors we're used to only existing in one place, now existing somewhere else. And I, I kind of feel like that started in drinks with the spicy trend. Right where everyone was like mm -hmm. looking for spicy beers, spicy margaritas, et cetera. And they were like, okay, we're done with that. Now just give me guava, but in my vodka soda. Yeah. I mean, Zach and I talked about this a long time ago about innovation. Yeah. I think that's the expectation now. Whereas back then, maybe people wouldn't have been down uh, to have like a margarita flavored wine, boxed wine. But now people are very open to it. And I think they expect it from drinks brands especially and we've talked about like loyalty as well but people are open to trying new things um and not revisiting things as well yeah totally well let us know what you think about total beverage <laughs> are you someone who is like a little bit suspect of it all do you you know feel like this is kind of the place that we're moving towards um are you someone that as well doesn't care about what the base is you're just like in it for the margarita straight to the face and whatever form that margarita <laughs> comes in or are you a purist thinks a margarita can only be made with tequila um i think all this stuff is really interesting and we're going to continue to see this happening more and more and more so this is a podcast at vinepair.com also if you have any topics we've gotten some really great suggestions recently that you want us to discuss hit us up as well we would love to hear your thoughts um, even if it's just like, hey, where should I hang out in this wine region? Maybe we'll do an episode about one of those one of these days as well. Um, so let us know and we will see you right back here. Same time, same place Friday. Have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... 
The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.